0: Hello, everybody. Today you have Jake and Seth. We're going to discuss L.A. Confidential, a 1997 neo-noir crime film directed, produced, and co-written by Curtis Hansen. The screenplay is based on a 1990 James Elroy novel of the same name. Apparently it's the third in a
1: series.
0: Uh, and it's about a group of LAPD officers in 1953 and the intersection of police corruption Hollywood celebrity the title refers to a 1950s scandal magazine confidential portrayed in the film as hush hush okay The film made for a budget of 35 million made 126 at the box office uh very successful critical response was really strong 99 around tomatoes a nine out of ten Uh, And the film won a couple of awards, too, for uh, Best Supporting Actress for Basinger, Best adapted Screenplay for Curtis Hanks and Brian And I think it had 10 nominations overall. Really well-received film. Boom. Seth, throwing it to you. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, this
2: is a movie I really like to revisit. Um, It was that same year as Titanic, and it's one of those movies, I think, on any other year, it probably comes out with Best Picture, and it's probably remembered a little bit more, but because it came out that same year as Titanic, it kind of got got swallowed up by, by the big boat, basically, and I mean, on a critical level, though, there's a lot about this movie I really like, and like again, like I said, like I think on a normal year, this would have won Best Picture. I, I could make like a critical argument that it is better than, than Titanic, um, especially with some of the performances. The screenplay is really good. Um, those James Elroy novels, you know, one of the series i think is black dahlia which is a really complicated screenplay and like they kind of messed that movie up honestly when you compare it to La confidential and so the fact that they were able to get this complicated screenplay to work i think was like a big a big deal um and it was a really well deserved like nomination for that uh adaptation of the screenplay also like the you know the central part of the movie to me the most interesting part of the movie is the three lead performances by by spacey um, russell crowe and guy pierce and how well they pick, pull off each of those characters and the, the dynamics between the three of them how they're kind of at odds with each other or how they have to work with each other and how they kind of uncover the corruption inside the la police department and it's just it's a really cool movie on how it kind of reveals those characters and then how it reveals like what's what they're actually fighting against for a lot of the for the majority of the movie you're not sure who the antagonist is and you know something is going wrong, you know that Mickey Cohen's in jail and somebody's taking over his rackets, but it's hard for the viewer to, to really pinpoint who's the bad guy. Like some, At points you think it's Russell Crowe, at points you think it's the the, the Patrick guy played by uh, Stray there, who, who also has a pretty good performance as well. Um, but it's, again, at the, the, honestly, I mean, I know Basinger won for Best Supporting Actress, She's not my favorite actress. Um, I did think she, she did a pretty good performance in this movie, though. Spacey, I know that we're not really allowed to talk about Spacey anymore for a variety of reasons, but he Aww. jumps off the screen for me in this movie. And I just think he he knocks it out of the park. Every time he's on screen, I think he's the guy that my eyes are really drawn to. I just think his performance is a- unbelievable. And like I, for me, it's like I felt like he really took a step up in this movie from just kind of being a character actor to being somebody else. Like, wow, this guy can really pull off some. Some, some acting chops that like other guys can't do. His portrayal of that of the kind of Hollywood-connected cop and just using his connections to get what he needs, as opposed to Bud White, who's more of the physical guy, and Guy, guy Pierce who's more of the straight arrow. I just thought, thought Spacey was unbelievable in this movie.
0: I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I had in my notes one of the things talking about Spacey w- was basically that I saw Usual Suspect 7 in this film within a short span of time, whether it was years, months, I don't know. But I didn't know Spacey before then. I'd probably seen him in films without realizing, like, Outbreak. But I-, I didn't know who he was. Right. After these three films, and then this led into American Beauty, but this was the right. film where I loved him. Because the other two films, he's the bad guy. And, like, yeah, you're like, maybe you root for him at the end of <laughs> Usual Suspects. But it's not structured in a way that you're actually, like, rooting for him as verbal claim. But this... I was rooting for him. And it's actually funny watching it this time. I realized he's not really a hero. He's actually not. He's a pretty bad guy. Or you guys, they're all flawed. But to your point, like, and I didn't realize at the time, but I'd seen him as the villain, as the anti-hero. And then in this one, you see him as as the hero. He's not an anti-hero. He's one of the heroes. And he also, like, when he dies, I was so sad. Spoiler alert. I remember watching this film on CW or whatever was Turner. And I remember when the captain turns around and shoots him and I was shocked. And yeah, I was 12. I probably hadn't seen it before, but like wasn't expecting that the old Irish, the nice Irish guy, like, yeah, I knew he was rough, but like didn't think he was doing that and totally threw me for a loop. And it, I don't have that shock anymore, but it still is a well, good scene. And it hurts because you're sad to see Jack go. And at the same time, like it feels like it's just going, like he's just about to figure it out. It's like, and they take him out. It's like when I'm going to compare it to Ned Stark dying in Game of Thrones. Like it's taking out the hero at the right time, where it's shocking the the shocking the watcher, the viewer, and like really helping the storyline. Yeah, yeah. The, the way the screenplay unravels, you, you really aren't onto
2: James. Um, uh, what's his name? The, the older police mm-hmm. officer? But you're just not onto him really seeing him as the antagonist at any point he seems more like he's managing the three detectives and kind of has different ways of using them but then that scene is shocking because again once he once you shoot spacey you realize oh this guy is the villain and that's really kind of the moment that the third act is really triggered but yeah it's a great death scene too i mean just the way that spacey dies You know, he he gives the Rolo Tomasi line, which is always a great pseudonym, and then just like he he has an ability to portray, like the life goes out of him at at a point and the camera kind of stays on him. It's one of the really, really better acting dead scenes that I've seen where it's like a lot of times I think people kind of ham it up on those death scenes, but he looks dead when he dies. I I don't know how else to
1: describe it.
0: He looks dead, Yeah. It feels like a really genuine, authentic scene. And as someone who's never seen that, I have nothing to draw from. But to your point, as a viewer, it feels real. And the other thing, too, I just love Rolla Tomasi. Like, the whole way it plays into the story, the way it brings all of them together, like, the all three storylines together, and just the way... I I don't know if you've read or seen Da Vinci Code, but it starts with a guy... uh, Basically, someone's murdered, or he's shot. He's about to die, and he's got a few minutes to convey something really important and complicated and he basically does it with a few without going too deep into the da vinci code he uses his blood to scrawl a couple clues that ends up turning them onto a larger mystery that's kind of complicated this is much simpler Rolo tomasi ed slash P- ed Exley pierce explained it before it's the name he gives to everyone who got who gets away with it And so as he's dying, he looks just so well-acted. It's like you see the emotions fly across his face and it's like he lets it out. And just, I love that. He's dead, but like his last gasp, he's able to basically just like, he gets victory. Like he's able to win in death by just putting a name out there. And I just, the way it unfolds, like, and the way he reacts, Exley reacts when the captain asks him and like the steps he takes, it was just like, and that made me like Exley more too, realizing like he's not just, like a straight arrow like he's smart and he's got some savvy to him too
2: no yeah that's i mean again, the movie can you know if you watch it from the guy pierce's point of view it's almost about the corruption of pierce and the fact that it. like by the end of the movie he's forced to go against the like his own morals that he created you know mm. he shoots Cromwell in the back at the end of the movie which is something Cromwell said he can never do that you know you're not the type of cop that will shoot a guy in the back because you don't want lawyers to get involved and like <laughs> and it's like that all kind of hits him in that final scene and then he shoots crumb on the back and it's like for his character that arc of like he, he tries to do everything the right way he wants to further his career as far as he can he doesn't care if he gives up other cops he's willing to snitch other police officers because he feels like it's justified but then by the end he tears that all down and he does realize like if i really want justice sometimes you have to take it into my into your own hands and it, again all three of those characters kind of have an arc. you know space for spacey it's kind of like he seems like he's just kind of out for the money. He wants the payoffs from Danny DeVito. He's there for Hush Hush magazine. He wants to stand around on the set of this like Dragnet type of TV show. Um, and he kind of seems like he's there for the connections of money. But then he hits a point where it's like, you know what? It's not about the money for me. Like, I actually do want to like figure this out. And I want to solve this. You know, after he has the Rolo Tomasi conversation with Guy Pierce, he's kind of like, you know what? We will, like, let's get to the bottom of this thing. Like, I don't care about the money anymore. And then... For the Bud Fox character, I think for him, it's kind of like realizing his own intelligence in a way. And that's kind of what Kim Basinger gives him, where it's like he has to kind of realize, like, I'm not just a muscle man. Like, I can figure things out. Like, I know how to get information from people, and I know how to use that to take the next steps. And so for him to kind of evolve from just, like, Cromwell's muscle guy to this guy that can figure out a case on his own is kind of like a big step for him, I think, as well.
0: Can I put kind of a... <clears throat> I hope i didn't read this so i hope this sounds cool i kind of look at it as almost like wizard of oz if you look at kim Basoner as dorothy like basically bud needs a bud needs a brain Yeah, spacey needs some um spacey needs a uh, heart and then what's his name Exley needs courage at the end to actually like take the law into his own hands and the other thing too too for you just nailed all their arcs perfectly that was just obviously i, I had to do my thing where I, I tweak it and ruin it but uh The way like looking back at it, what really stood out to me was I always liked it, but this time I didn't realize it was three redemption arcs in one. And like they're all the way I viewed it, you nailed it, but like for me, Exley Exley's career was made on the night owl. Like he didn't care about giving up the cops, but he, he cared about the night owl. He killed some kids or he killed guys who were bad dudes, but that wasn't what he was there for. And he was used and he knew that. And so his whole thing was. He was willing, there was even that thing. It's like, you want to go after the night owl. That was the one that made you. Bud White says that. It's like, you want to take it down. He says, I want to tear it down with a like a, whatever, like a hammer, like he's willing to do that to make things right. And you realize that he's not maybe as ambitious as we think, like he's actually willing to stand up for something. Vincennes hurts that kid. Reynolds gets the actor killed. And then it seems like that in the conversation with Pierce, like actually someone who's idealistic, it's like, feels like he wants to start helping people again. And likewise, Bud, Peer, Bud White only hurts people. He doesn't actually do any. He's not a policeman. He's a muscle, and he wants to help people. And like he helps, I mean, the way I viewed it, like I'm probably stretching a bit. But like he helps that woman find her daughter under the house. Like, and as soon as he's doing detective work, he's like actually kind of helping people. Like, even as that thing, I think he kind of goes against Dudley at one point. Like, he, with Kim Basinger's encouragement, he realizes he doesn't. He's more than just a blunt instrument. He can actually be a tool and help solve things. And they're all on this arc from really where they start in the beginning and you realize like two of them are cops who like aren't really acting like cops. And the third is someone who wants to be a cop, but doesn't really have the power to do the right things. And it's like where they end up at the end, it's like one's dead. One's out of the police force and the other has basically lost his ideals, but now has all the authority he needs or like is he would have the authority to make changes. And it's kind of like, as a viewer, I left it. Like, I hope he's going to make those changes, but like, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and
2: like I know that the screenwriter I, I was reading, he, he was really pressured by uh, some producers that like to eliminate one of the characters or to, to try to merge two of them because they were like, we can't have three leads. Like, what's what's Count this down to two guys? Or like, make Bud White the protagonist and kind of, you know, merge the other two characters. And it's like, he was like, no, all three of these guys are essential. And I really do like that it's like a, a three-person protagonist thing that's happening. It's like all three of them have their own arcs. All three of them are unique characters and like, it wouldn't be the same movie if you tried to merge two of those characters. Like, it just wouldn't, like, you know, Jack Vincennes is not, like, Exley. And Exley is not, like, but it's, like, you just can't put those guys together. Like, they're all doing their own thing. And, like, as the viewer, like, on a first watch, you're not even sure how the three of them are related or why we're really cutting between the three. And it's really not till that third act happens that you realize, oh, everything is coming together and all three of these guys, like, did work together to solve this thing.
0: I was going to say the... The benefit of having three is, to your point, you know something's going on. You're not sure who's involved. You're not sure what. And it seems like there's clues in each storyline, but you're not sure who. And each character has their own set of supporting characters. There's Danny DeVito, who with Jack Vincennes and all these young actors. And then you also get with Exley, you have... I feel like with Exley, they show a lot of the other like rank-and-file cops who clearly have animosity towards them. And then you also get Dudley with like the top brass and the... It like attorney general, and it's like you really get a full spectrum of the cops, and then with Bud White, you see Kim Basinger, you see a lot of Patchett, you kind of get to see him, and then you see the captain in a totally different view, and like a different cops, not the rank and file ones that are always in like you see like the, like the dirtier cops, the dirty work. We go. and it's and the with again hopefully you've seen it as a viewer. What really stood out to me this time was like how why the mystery works and why it's so good is that you're naturally trying to think which one of these stories is connected and you realize by the end they're all connected like they've been giving yeah. each they were all clues it's all connected and that Rollo i is the trick it's like oh captain dudley and the cops are involved in all these people and the only one that it wasn't quite clear as with is with pierce patchett and the bud white storyline but that's they allude to it too like when you there's a ton there's of dead cops of being, yeah there's
2: definitely a point where like as a viewer you're like this has to do with Patchett. Mm-hmm. Has to be the one behind this. But then when they kind of come, they come back to him. I think it's Bud White and Exley. They have that fight, and they get all. It's mm-hmm. like it's like he knows that Cromwell what sent Bud White after him to, to try mm-hmm. to kill him, basically. But they end up talking like in the fight, and they realize that they need to work together. And then they go to see Patchett, and it, it's a, it's a fake suicide that basically they come across, mm-hmm. and that's really like as a viewer, you're like, wait a second, if he's dead, like who's mm-hmm. left? And it's like it's, it's very confusing. On a first watch i think to to really try to pinpoint every single clue and figure out but like it i think it does reward multiple watches because (coughs) as you walk it's like you're like oh so like you can kind of see what Cromwell is doing in every in every situation like he's the one that's putting out the hits on these people he's the one taking out mickey cohen's guys he's the one setting up the da with with the gay person and having danny devito take the pictures and he's obviously the one that that takes uh suicide, and so it all does. Uh, again, it's a brilliant screenplay in a lot of ways, not just the development of the characters, but the actual plot and how it all gets revealed.
0: Yeah, it's. I, then the thing I, I just keep going back to is the way with the way. First of all, Cromwell incredible, but <clears throat> the way they position the character, like I noticed like he's subservient in all of those big meetings with the top brass. He is not at the table. Like they're behind a table, he's sitting to the side. And like, he's always neutral or like calm. Like even when he's like, again, what he says is like, I didn't realize like he says it in this nice old man voice. The content of what he's saying is really dark when he basically calls out Exley in the beginning for not being willing to do things. And like, he's vague. And so it's like, oh yeah, that's vague. And then when you think about it, it's like, what does he actually ask? And then you see what they do. Like you see what Bud White does. And it's like, it's some of the, again, the, it's a great film because you criticize him for these methods, but then you realize at the end, like Pierce has to resort to some of those methods, not Pierce, Yeah. Yeah. Um, guy Pierce Pierce, actually has to resort to some of those methods. And one of my favorite thing, I love Watchmen. And one of the reasons I love it is like a main theme of that, the movie, but mainly the comic. I love the concept of you can't fight the abyss when you look in the abyss the abyss looks into you you can't fight darkness without like coming you can't fight monsters without becoming one i just really like that's obviously a very powerful and eternal theme in most literature and like so for me i think this is a really well executed they take the theme they execute on it well and they do one of the things i think is hardest to do in these type of stories where it still leaves you with a little hope like if there's some real loss there's some real tragedy there's real cost but it still is, like, there is some hope and it does seem like there's a better death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get and like, you know, all three actors do. It's, like, I feel like they're just on upswings in this movie. You know, it's, like, Spacey goes on to do American Beauty a
2: couple years later. Crow, this kind of opens up the door for Gladiator, you know, which was, like, a huge movie for him. You know, Guy Pearce, I think he, he gets into Memento, you know, with, with Nolan a couple years mm-hmm. after this. And so it's, like, just their progression as actors, too. It's, like, you're catching them right in that sweet spot of, like, they're, you know, this is all a big movie to kind of open up more
0: leading movies and roles for them as well. And, like, I really do all, – all three actors, I think, are really great in the movie. He's great. Uh, they're all great. The, the one I, – I thought Guy Pierce would kind of have – he's the only one I look back now. Like, he's a very good actor. I think he's the only one who failed to reach that, like, top tier. Again, he still can.
2: Like he could have had those roles, like more leading roles, and I feel like he kind of sidestepped some of those. But yeah, you're right. Like, for whatever reason, he didn't quite reach the peaks, I think, as Spacey and Crow did.
0: I think you're right. I think there's definitely an element of that. Like, again, I don't know his agents. I'm not throwing this Wikipedia in front of me right now, but I'm sure I'll never know what roles he turned down or what roles he was the runner up to or he wasn't considered for. But yeah, there's definitely a focus on indie films, uh, but like he did the Time Machine. I, I think yeah. he he did. I can't remember. He did like a movie about like a space prison where the president's daughter is captured. I saw that. He's made some bigger movies, like not is he hasn't really ha- he really hasn't had like the John Mars flop, but he also I think has uh, I think when he's ventured into some bigger fare, he hasn't done well. With the exception being Iron Man three, but like he was, like, one of the weakest aspects of that film. Like,
2: it's, so, like, you leave that film and, and yeah. Yeah, like, he was in those, those the the new Ridley Scott kind of alien movies as, like, the, (laughs) um as, like, the, Tyrell or something. Is that the the name of the corporation? I forget. But, like, he's kind of, but, again, he's not, like, really featured in those movies prominently. And it's kind of a weird role for him where he's wearing a ton of makeup. But, yeah, I mean. When this movie came out, I would have thought like this guy is going to be the Tom Hanks of the two thousands or something. You know, just he just felt like he was a really good leading role type of guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I think Memento was a great movie for him as well. But yeah, he didn't he didn't he didn't really carry on. I mean, I mean, again, he, he's not done. I saw him at Mayor Beats recently. That mm-hmm. show, I know yeah, was pretty good. With that, but yeah, it's like he doesn't. You know, it's like he's not the main character even in the TV series like that. You know
0: exactly that that was that was what i was thinking of when i brought it up but um couldn't agree uh, like right we're on the same page there um in terms of the cast we kind of touched on kim Basinger. i thought she was really great in this um there i mean that was definitely a character over time i feel like my understanding of her has changed just as i've gone from a 12 year old a 13 year old boy to like just a guy but I really like her. I thought she's really well executed. There's definitely a little bit of the like, virgin horror motif. I think they even kind of like call it that, like it's, which is very common, but also really unfair to female characters.
2: This might just be a personal thing with me where I just don't, for whatever reason, she's never been my favorite actress. And I feel like she's a little stone-faced at times. I don't know how to, I mean, again, I know she won Best Supporting Actress for this. I'm not saying it wasn't deserved. I do think she's good in the movie. Her monologue to Guy Pierce about Bud White and like all the things that he stands for that, that you know actually doesn't stand for I think is a really good monologue and it's like you know it's the, all this stuff is going on right before they're about to have sex and she's kind of she knows that she's about to betray Bud White as she's speaking about all the, the great things about him and that whole moment and all the emotions in that, in that scene I think are really good but again, I think it's I think it's more of a me thing where for whatever reason she's never been my favorite actress I've always kind of liked Nicole Kidman more. I don't know why I compare the two, but
1: you know they're both kind of like tall, fair-skinned, blonde ladies, and so. And there's
0: only room for one of them in your Hollywood, huh, Seth? <laughs> Again, I like I'll, 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 Kim Basinger's movies. I do
1: think this is her best performance, but I, I would just say she's not my favorite actress overall. So maybe that's just a me thing. Well, that's
0: fair. Hey, you're you're entitled to your opinion, be it right or wrong or otherwise. Um... <laughs> Uh, just kidding, now just kidding. Uh, obviously, understand that um, we all have our favorites, and we all have some we just can't really quite connect with. Like, Lord knows I've got those as well. I would actually agree with you. I did like her in this role, um, and as I said, like my uh, understanding of her has changed over time. When I was younger, I thought she was just very pretty, and like I, I could still th- thought she was great in the role. But what stood out to me this time were, were also some of the, co- the conversations she had with Bud. And just like the, paying more attention to it, like the way she builds him up, I thought was really, it was interesting. Like it's really, like she's really, te- like I liked how they played to her. I like how they built, had her build him up. Uh, and, and he I, does a similar
2: thing for her where it's like he lets her know like you're more than just, you know, a hooker that's cut to look like a celebrity. Like, you know, he kind of sees more in her as well. And so there's kind of that duality in their relationship, I think.
0: It's really, and it's, it's it is really well executed and I like it. The only thing it bothered me then, and it bothers me now. Guy Pierce or Edmund actually sleeping with her, like, and it bothered me for different reasons. Like then, I was just like, "Don't sleep with his girlfriend." Like, you know, it's his girlfriend. Like, I didn't get why he was doing it, and like, I still think it hasn't played well over time. Like, Bud White is insane. So is such a straight arrow up to that point at
2: no point is he looking to do something salacious or wavering or like might be against his morals and like in within three minutes of talking to this woman he's ready to sleep with her and like I did, I, I agree there's something about it from his perspective because she's been told to sleep with him by, by Patchett I, I think and, and like they're trying to and like DeVito's taking pictures and that's how they get Bud, Bud White pissed off at him. Obviously that was all drawn from the Cromwell character because he's kind of pulling all the strings but like it, he he's so quick to sleep with her when he, after being such a straight arrow by the book cop there needed to be something in there a little bit more to pull him in. like again she's a beautiful woman <laughs> like i don't doubt that he was attracted to her but for him to break all his moral morals at the drop of a hat like that after he built up that character to be such a straight arrow there's something that, yeah, it isn't totally
0: congruent in that scene. I couldn't agree more. And, like, for me, it went from original bro code. And then as I got older, it was, like, why would you do that, knowing that he'll probably kill you, to now as I watch it, it's just, like, you know that that's their racket. Like, you're now, yeah. you're a straight arrow, and you're having sex with a prostitute, kind of forcing yourself on her, like, a little aggressively. And, like, it's just, you've been a straight arrow your whole life and you're going to throw it all away to sleep with the guy's girl. And that was the other thing too. Like, it's not, it was also, I appreciated it then. And I think it's, I mean, he's doing it to get back at Bud cause she's right. Cause he feels, even though he's a straight arrow, he feels inadequate to Bud as a man, as a police, as a moral, whatever you want to put it up there, he feels inadequate. And right. I do think one of the things I liked this time was how she did it. Like, I think she was doing it to hurt him and also knowing that maybe that would get him going. Like I, cause she's not really hitting on him in a traditional way, but like by bringing up bud, it kind of, it's weird.
1: I, it's perverse. yeah.
0: It's perverse, And it is, I think there is another way to get that to happen. Like they could have just told bud or pretended like maybe they cut up someone to look like bud and then have them have sex. Like, I don't know. there's just, it, yeah. it just, there were other ways. I didn't like it for, I haven't liked it since I first watched it. I didn't like it now. I've liked it, disliked it for multiple reasons. It just, to me, uh, it feels a little bit like plot, like it's meant to just advance the plot. Like it doesn't fully make sense in the story. It just is meant to like, kind of accelerate everything. I feel like for the third act. I agree.
2: Yeah. It's like... I understand why that plot point is there and why they're taking the pictures of him, but it's like you need to, I think they need to take their time a little bit more to get Pierce to kind of be drawn into her or have her seduce him a little bit more instead of it being such a quick, forceful kind of thing where it's like he's really just trying to get in revenge with boy and he's going to throw away all his like morals out the yeah. door to so, like So it just happens a little too fast for that character.
0: And just all his political capital, like his clean record yeah. gives him capital and leverage with dealing with people. So I just, it didn't make sense.
2: Um, I do really appreciate about the movie is just the use of that period of Los Angeles. Like, I do think they kind of turned the, the city into a character. There's a lot of places that they visit that were, like, real places. That whole idea of, like, you know, hookers that were cut to look like celebrities, that was a real thing that happened back in the 50s. And so I think there's a lot of inside Hollywood stuff that's happening. Um, you know, they have that show that's kind of, like, based off Dragnet that, that Jack Monsens keeps going to the set too. And so I just think that whole feel of Los Angeles... Not a lot of I, I think honestly la is a hard city to capture and, and a hard city to get the vibe of but this movie does a great job of kind of capturing that vibe especially with the jackson's character and just the way he works his way around the city the way he knows people the way he knows how to get information from people also i mean i just love the scene too where it's like they walk in on johnny stampinato and they think that he's with a hooker that's cut to look like veronica lake and it actually is veronica lake and it's just like that's a really hilarious moment when they go back
0: I love that. I love that. Um, I'm not an LA expert, but I do agree. It it seems to be one of the harder cities to kind of cast or to create a ambiance for no expert on the fifties, but it felt like whether it's the palm trees or just the way they, they, it felt very authentic. And the cool thing about LA, or I guess like the interesting thing is it's obviously a major city with big business, but one of those big businesses is Hollywood and Hollywood also has an interesting history. I mean, we, walk, we talk about mink like there have been like political ties with hollywood there have been like then in world war ii like you start having like cia and government agencies getting involved with hollywood like there's and without getting too deep if anyone listens to rewatchables they talk about how a lot of movies in the 80s were financed apparently by israeli arms dealers where i'm going with this is hollywood has always kind of been a bastion for I mean, the first, one of the first major movies was made by the Ku Klux Klan, which is obviously a terrible organization, but where I'm going with this is Hollywood has always had shady ties, and so it's, uh, granted,
2: yeah, that combination of like the glitz and glam of Hollywood and big stars and the palm trees, and then that whole underside, the underbelly of it, and it's like, there's that whole duality to Hollywood, and like, yeah, there's some money coming from shady places, but we're all smiling when we're on camera, and it's like, I mean, everything going on behind the scenes can be a little bit dirtier than you realize, whereas everything in front of the camera is a little bit more sparkly than it really needs to be.
0: Hello, everybody. Today you have Jake and Seth. We're going to discuss LA Confidential in 1997 neo noir crime film. Directed, produced, and co written by Curtis Hansen. The screenplay is based on a 1990 James Elroy novel of the same name. Apparently, it's the third in a
1: series.
0: Uh, and it's about a group of LAPD officers in 1953 and in the intersection of police corruption and Hollywood celebrity. The title refers to a 1950s scandal mag- magazine confidential portrayed in the film as Hush Hush. Okay. Whew. Film made for a budget of $35 million, Made 126 at the box office. Uh, very successful. Critical response was really strong. 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. A 9 out of 10. Uh, and the film won a couple of awards, too, for uh, Best Supporting Actress for Basinger, Best Adapted Screenplay for Curtis Hanson and Brian Hedlund. I think it had 10 nominations overall. Really well-received film. Boom. Seth, throwing it to you. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean,
2: it was that same year as Titanic. And it's one of those movies, I think, on any other year, it probably comes out with Best Picture and it's probably remembered a little bit more, but because it came out that same year as Titanic, it kind of got got swallowed up by, by the big boat, basically. And I mean, on a critical level though, there's a lot about this movie I really like. And like again, like I said, like I think on a normal year, this would have won Best Picture. I, I could make like a critical argument that it is better than, than Titanic, um, especially with some of the performances. The screenplay is really good um those james elroy novels you know one of the another one in that series i think is black dahlia which is a really complicated screenplay and like they kind of messed that movie up honestly when you compare it to l.a confidential and so the fact that they were able to get this complicated screenplay to work i think was like a big a big deal um and it was a really well deserved like nomination for that uh, adaptation of the screenplay also like the you know the central part of the movie to me the most interesting part of the movie is the three lead performances by, by Spacey, um, Russell Crowe, and Guy Pearce, and how well they pick, pull off each of those characters, and then the dynamics between the three of them, how they're kind of at odds with each other, how they have to work with each other, and how they kind of uncover the corruption inside the LA Police Department. And it's just, it's a really cool movie on how it kind of reveals those characters, and then how it reveals, like, what's what they're actually fighting against. For a lot of the, for the majority of the movie, you're not sure who the antagonist is, and you know something is going wrong. You know that Mickey Cohen's in jail and somebody's taking over his rackets, but it's hard for the viewer to to really pinpoint who's the bad guy. Like some, at points you think it's Russell Crowe, at points you think it's the 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 Patrick guy played by uh, Stray There, who, who also has a pretty good performance as well. Um, but it's again, at the, the, honestly, I mean, I know Basinger won for best supporting actress. She's not my favorite actress. Um, I did think she, she did a pretty good performance in this movie, though. Spacey, I know that we're not really allowed to talk about Spacey anymore for a variety of reasons, but he oh. jumps off the screen for me in this movie. And I just think he, he knocks it out of the park. Every time he's on screen, I think he's the guy that my eyes are really drawn to. I just think his performance is unbelievable. And like for me, it's like I felt like he really took a step up in this movie from just kind of being a character actor to being somebody I was like, wow, this guy can really pull off some. Some, some acting chops that like other guys can't do. His portrayal of that of the kind of Hollywood-connected cop and just using his connections to get what he needs, as opposed to Bud White who's more of the physical guy and Guy, guy Pierce who's more of the straight arrow. I just thought that Spacey was unbelievable in this movie.
0: I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I had in my notes one of the things talking about Spacey w- was basically that I saw a Usual Suspect 7 in this film within a short span of time, whether it was years, months, I don't know. But I didn't know Spacey before then. I'd probably seen him in films without realizing, like, Outbreak. But I-, I didn't know who he was. Right. After these three films, and then this led into American Beauty, but this was the right. film where I loved him. Because the other two films, he's the bad guy. And, like, yeah, you're like, maybe you root for him at the end of <laughs> Usual Suspects. But it's not structured in a way that you're actually, like, rooting for him as verbal claim. But this I was rooting for him. And it's actually funny watching it this time. I realized he's not really a hero. He's actually not. He's a pretty bad guy or you guys, they're all flawed. But to your point, like, and I didn't realize at the time, but I'd seen him as the villain, as the anti-hero. And then in this one, you see him as, as the hero. He's not an anti-hero. He's one of the heroes. And he also like, when he dies, I was so sad. Spoiler alert. I remember watching this film on cw or whatever was turner and i remember when the captain turns around and shoots him and i was shocked and yeah i was 12 i probably hadn't seen it before but like wasn't expecting that the old irish the nice irish guy like yeah i knew he was rough but like didn't think he was doing that and totally threw me for a loop and it i don't have that shock anymore but it still is a well good scene and it hurts because you're sad to see jack go and at the same time, like it feels like it's just going, like he's just about to figure it out. It's like, and they take him out. It's like when I'm going to compare it to Ned Stark dying in Game of Thrones, like it's taking out the hero at the right time where it's shocking the the shocking the watcher, the viewer and like really helping the storyline. Yeah, yeah, the, the way the screenplay unravels, you, you really aren't onto James. Um, uh, what's his name? The,
2: the older police mm-hmm. officer, but you're just not onto him. Not really seeing him as the antagonist at any point. He seems more like he's managing the three detectives and kind of has different ways of using them. But then that scene is shocking because again, once he once you shoots Spacey, you realize, oh, this guy is the villain, and that's really kind of the moment that the third act is really triggered. But yeah, it's a great death scene too. I mean, just the way that Spacey dies. You know, he, he gives the Rolo Tomasi line, which is always a great pseudonym, And then just like he, he has an ability to portray, like the life goes out of him at, at a point and the camera kind of stays on him. It's one of the really, really better acting dead scenes that I've seen where it's like a lot of times I think people kind of ham it up on those death scenes, but he looks dead when he dies. I, I don't know how else to describe it.
0: He looks dead. Yeah it feels like a really genuine, authentic scene. And as someone who's never seen that, I have nothing to draw from. But to your point, as a viewer, it feels real. And the other thing, too, I just love Rolla Tomasi. Like, the whole way it plays into the story, the way it brings all of them together, like, the all three storylines together, and just the way... I I don't know if you've read or seen Da Vinci Code, but it starts with a guy... uh, Basically, someone's murdered, or he's shot. He's about to die. And he's got a few minutes to convey something really important and complicated and he basically does it with a few without going too deep into the da vinci code he uses his blood to scrawl a couple clues that ends up turning them onto a larger mystery that's kind of complicated this is much simpler Rolo tomasi ed slash P- ed Exley pierce explained it before it's the name he gives to everyone who got who gets away with it And so as he's dying, he's just so well acted. It's like you see the emotions fly across his face and it's like he lets it out. And just, I love that. He's dead, but like his last gasp, he's able to basically just like, he gets victory. Like he's able to win in death by just putting a name out there. And I just, the way it unfolds, like, and the way he reacts, Exley reacts when the captain asks him and like the steps he takes, it was just like, and that made me like Exley more too, realizing like he's not just, like a straight arrow like he's smart and he's got some savvy to it too no
2: yeah that's i mean again, the movie can you know if you watch it from the guy pierce's point of view it's almost about the corruption of pierce and the fact that it like by the end of the movie he's forced to go against the like his own morals that he
1: created you know mm. he shoots Cromwell in the back at the end of the movie which is something Cromwell said he could never do that you know you're not the type of cop that will shoot a guy in the back because you don't want lois to get involved and like <laughs> and it's like That all kind of hits him
2: in that final scene, and then he shoots Grumble in the back. And it's like, for his character, that arc of, like, he he tries to do everything the right way. He wants to further his career as far as he can. He doesn't care if he gives up other cops. He's willing to snitch in other police officers because he feels like it's justified. But then by the end, he tears that all down, and he does realize, like, if I really want justice, sometimes you have to take it into into your own hands. And again, all three of those characters kind of have an arc. You know, for Spacey, it's kind of like, he seems like he's just kind of out for the money. He wants the payoffs from Danny DeVito. He's there for Hush Hush magazine. He wants to stand around on the set of this like Dragnet type of TV show. Um, and he kind of seems like he's there for the connections of money. But then he hits a point where it's like, you know what? It's not about the money for me. Like I actually do want to like figure this out and I want to solve this. You know, after he has the Rolo Tomasi conversation with Guy Pierce, he's kind of like, you know what? We will like, let's get to the bottom of this thing. Like I don't care about the money anymore. And then, for the Bud Fox character, I think for him, it's kind of like realizing his own intelligence in a way. And that's kind of what Kim Basinger gives him, where it's like he has to kind of realize, like, I'm not just a muscle man. Like, I can figure things out. Like, I know how to get information from people, and I know how to use that to take the next steps. And so for him to kind of evolve from just, like, Cromwell's muscle guy to this guy that can figure out a case on his own is kind of like a big step for him, I think, as well.
1: Can
0: I put kind of a... <clears throat> I hope i didn't read this so i hope this sounds cool i kind of look at it as almost like wizard of oz if you look at kim basin as dorothy like basically bud needs a bud needs a brain Yeah, spacey needs some um spacey needs a heart and then what's his name Exley needs courage at the end to actually like take the law into his own hands and the other thing too too for you just nailed all their arcs perfectly that was just obviously i, I had to do my thing where I, I tweak it and ruin it but uh the way like looking back at it what really stood out to me was i always liked it but this time i didn't realize it was three redemption arcs in one and like they're all the way i viewed it you nailed it but like for me Exley Exley's career was made on the night owl like he didn't care about giving up the cops but he, he cared about the night owl he killed some kids or he killed guys who were bad dudes but that wasn't what he was there for and he was used and he knew that and so his whole thing was he was willing, there was even that thing. It's like, you want to go after the night owl. That was the one that made you. Bud White says that. It's like, you want to take it down. He says, I want to tear it down with a, like, a, whatever, like a hammer. Like he's willing to do that to make things right. And you realize that he's not maybe as ambitious as we think. Like he's actually willing to stand up for something. Vincennes hurts that kid. Reynolds gets the actor killed. And then it seems like that in the conversation with Pierce, like actually someone who's idealistic, it's like feels like he wants to start helping people again. And likewise, Bud, Peer, Bud White only hurts people. He doesn't actually do any, he's not a policeman, he's a muscle and he wants to help people and like he helps. I mean, the way I viewed it, like I'm probably stretching a bit, but like he helps that woman find her daughter under the house. Like, And as soon as he's doing detective work, and he's like actually kind of helping people. Like, he even as that thing, I think he kind of goes against Dudley at one point. Like he, With Kim Basinger's encouragement, he realizes he doesn't, he's more than just a blunt instrument. He can actually be a tool and helps solve things. And they're all on this arc from really where they start in the beginning and you realize like two of them are cops who like aren't really acting like cops. And the third is someone who wants to be a cop, but doesn't really have the power to do the right things. And it's like where they end up at the end, it's like one's dead one's out of the police force and the other has basically lost his ideals, but now has all the authority he needs or like is he would have the authority to make changes. And it's kind of like, as a viewer, I left it like, I hope he's going to make those changes, but like, I, I don't know. Yeah. And like, I know that the screenwriter I, I was reading, he, he was really pressured by uh, some
2: producers that like to eliminate one of the characters or to, to try to merge two of them. Cause they were like, we can't have three leads. Like what's, what's now, this down to two guys or like make Bud white, the protagonist and kind of, you know, merge the other two characters. And it's like, he was like, no, all three of these guys are essential. And I really do like that. It's like a, a three person protagonist thing that's happening. It's like all three of them have their own arcs. All three of them are unique characters. And like, it wouldn't be the same movie if you tried to merge two of those characters. Like, it just wouldn't, like, you know, Jack Vincennes is not, like, Exley. And Exley is not, like, but it's, like, you just can't put those guys together. Like, they're all doing their own thing. And, like, as the viewer, like, on a first watch, you're not even sure how the three of them are related or why we're really cutting between the three. And it's really not till that third act happens that you realize, oh, everything is coming together and all three of these guys, like, did work together to solve this thing.
0: I was going to say the... The benefit of having three is, to your point, you know something's going on. You're not sure who's involved. You're not sure what. And it seems like there's clues in each storyline, but you're not sure who. And each character has their own set of supporting characters. There's Danny DeVito, who with Jack Vincennes and all these young actors. And then you also get with Exley, you have... The, I feel like with Exley, they show a lot of the other like rank-and-file cops who would clearly have animosity towards them. And then you also get Dudley with like the top brass and the... like attorney general and it's like you really get a full spectrum of the cops and then with bud white you see kim basiner you see a lot of Patchett, you kind of get to see him and then you see the captain in a totally different view and like a different cops not the rank and file ones that are always in like you see like like the dirtier cops and it's and the with again hopefully you've seen it as a viewer what really stood out to me this time was like how why the mystery works why it's so good is that You're naturally trying to think which one of these stories is connected, and you realize by the end they're all connected. Like they've been giving each; they were all clues. It's all connected, and that Rollo is the trick. It's like, oh, Captain Dudley and the cops are involved in all these people, and the only one that it wasn't quite clear is with is with Pierce Patchett and the Bud White storyline. But that's they allude to it too. Like when you, there's a ton of dead cops. Yeah, there's definitely
2: a point where, like, as a viewer, you're like, this has to do with Patchett. Patchett Mm -hmm. has to be the one behind this, but then when they kind of come, they come back to him. I think it's Bud White and Exley. They have that fight, and they get Mm -hmm. all—it's like it's like he knows that Cromwell sent Bud White after him to to try Mm -hmm. to kill him, basically. But they end up talking like in the fight, and they realize that they need to work together. And then they go to see Patchett, and it's it's a fake suicide that basically they come across, Mm -hmm. and that's really like as a viewer, you're like, wait a second, if he's dead, like who's left? And it's like it's it's very confusing. On a first watch, I think to to really try to pinpoint every single clue and figure out, but like, it, I think it does reward multiple watches because <coughs> as you it's like you're like oh so like you can kind of see what promo is doing in every in every situation and, like he's the one that's putting out the hits on these people he's the one taking out Mickey Cohen's guys he's the one setting up the DA with with the gay person and having Danny DeVito take the pictures. And he's obviously the one that takes that Patchett's uh, suicide. And so it all does uh, again, it's a brilliant screenplay in a lot of ways, not just the development of the characters, but the actual plot and how it all gets revealed.
0: Yeah. It's I, then the thing I, I just keep going back to is the way with the way, first of all, Cromwell's incredible, <clears throat> but the way they position the character, like I noticed like he's subservient in all of those big meetings with the top brass. He's not at the table, like they're behind a table, he's sitting to the side. And like, he's always neutral or like, calm. Like even when he's like, again, what he says is like, I didn't realize, like he says it in this nice old man voice, the content of what he's saying is really dark when he basically calls out Exley in the beginning for not being willing to do things. And like, he's vague. And so it's like, oh yeah, that's vague. And then when you think about it, it's like, what does he actually ask? And then you see what they do. Like you see what Bud White does. And it's like, it's some of the, again, the It's a great film because you criticize him for these methods, but then you realize at the end, like Pierce has to resort to some of those methods. Not Pierce, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Pierce. Pierce. Pierce, Exley has to resort to some of those methods. And one of my favorite things, I love Watchmen, and one of the reasons I love it is like a main theme of that. The movie, but mainly the comic. I love the concept of you can't fight the abyss When you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. You can't fight darkness without like you can't fight monsters without becoming one. I just really like that's obviously a very powerful and eternal theme in most literature. And like so for me, I think this is a really well executed. They take the theme, they execute on it well, and they do one of the things I think is hardest to do in these type of stories, where it still leaves you with a little hope. Like if there's some real loss, there's some real tragedy, there's real cost, but it still is like there is some hope and it does seem like there's a better death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, and like, you know, all three actors do. It's like, I feel like they're just on upswings in this movie. You know, it's like Spacey goes on to do American Beauty a
2: couple years later. Crow, this kind of opens up the door for Gladiator, you know, which was like a huge movie for him. You know, Guy Pierce, I think he, he goes into Memento, you know, with, with Nolan a couple years mm-hmm. after this. And so it's like, just their progression as actors too. It's like, you're catching them right in that sweet spot of like, they're, you know, this is all a big movie to kind of open up more leading movies and roles for them as well. And like, I really do all, all three actors. I think are really great. In the movie.
0: He's great. Uh, they're all great. The the one I I thought Guy Pierce would kind of have. He's the only one I look back now. Like, he's a very good actor. I think he's the only one who failed to reach that like top tier. Again, he still can. I almost think that he didn't. I mean, almost didn't want it in a way.
2: Or like, I, I feel like he could have had those roles. Like. Or leading roles, and I feel like he kind of sidestepped some of those. But yeah, you're right. Like for whatever reason, he didn't quite reach the peaks I think as Spacey and Crow did.
0: I think you're right. I think there's definitely an element of that. Like again, I don't know his agents. I'm not throwing this Wikipedia in front of me right now, but I'm sure I'll never know what roles he turned down or what roles he was the runner up to or he wasn't considered for. But. Yeah, there's definitely a focus on indie films, uh, but like he did the Time Machine. I, I think yeah. he he did. I can't remember. He did like a movie about like a space prison where the president's daughter's captured. I saw that. He's made some bigger movies, like not he hasn't ha- he hasn't had like the John Mars flop, but he also I think has uh, I think when he's ventured into some bigger fare, he hasn't done well. With the exception being Iron Man three, but like he was, like, one of the weakest aspects of that film. Like, it's, so, like, you leave that film and, and yeah. Yeah, like,
2: he was in those, those the the new Ridley Scott kind of alien movies as, like, Mm the, um as, like, the, Tyrell or something, is that the the name of the corporation? I forget, but, like, he's kind of, but, again, he's not, like, really featured in those movies prominently, and it's kind of a weird role for him where he's wearing a ton of makeup, but, yeah, I mean... When this movie came out, I would have thought, like, this guy is going to be the Tom Hanks of the 2000s or something. You know, just he just felt like he was a really good leading role type of guy. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, I think Memento was a great movie for him as well. But, yeah, he, did, he didn't he didn't really carry on. I mean, I mean again, he, he's not done. I saw him in Mare of
1: recently, that mm. show. I thought he was
2: pretty good that. But, yeah, it's like he doesn't, you know, it's like he's not the main character even in a TV
0: series like that, you know? exactly that that was that was what i was thinking of when i brought it up but um couldn't agree right. It sounds like right we're on the same page there um in terms of the cast we kind of touched on kim Basinger. i thought she was really great in this um there i mean that was definitely a character over time i feel like my understanding of her has changed just as i've gone from a 12 year old a 13 year old boy to like just a guy but I really like her. I thought she's really well executed. There's definitely a little bit of the like, virgin horror motif. I think they even kind of like call it that, like it's, which is very common, but also really unfair to female
1: characters.
2: This might just be a personal thing with me where I just don't, for whatever reason, she's never been my favorite actress. And I feel like she's a little stone-faced at times. I don't know how to, I mean, again, I know she won Best Supporting Actress for this. I'm not saying it wasn't served. I do think she's good in the movie. Her monologue to Guy Pierce about Bud White and like all the things that he stands for that, that, you know, actually doesn't stand for, I think is a really good monologue. And it's like, you know, it's the, all this stuff is going on right before they're about to have sex. And she's kind of, she knows that she's about to betray Bud White as she's speaking about all the, the great things about him. And that whole moment and all the emotions in that, in that scene, I think are really good. But again, I think it's, I think it's more of a me thing where for whatever reason, she's never been my favorite actress. I've always kind of liked Nicole Kidman more. I don't know why I compare the two, but, you know, they're both kind of like tall, fair-skinned, blonde ladies, and so...
0: And there's only room for one of them in your Hollywood, huh, Seth?
2: <laughs> Again, I like... Of Kim Basinger's movies, I do think this is her best performance, but I,
1: I would just say she's not my favorite actress overall. so maybe that's just a me thing. Well, that's fair. Hey, you're,
0: you're entitled to your opinion, be it right or wrong or otherwise. Um... <laughs> Uh, just kidding, no, just kidding. Uh, obviously, understand that um, we all have our favorites, and we all have some we just can't really quite connect with. Like, Lord knows I've got those as well. I would actually agree with you. I did like her in this role, um, and as I said, like my uh, understanding of her has changed over time. When I was younger, I thought she was just very pretty, and like I, I could still th- thought she was great in the role. But what stood out to me this time were, were also some of the, co- the conversations she had with Bud. And just like the paying more attention to it, like the way she builds him up, I thought was really, it was interesting. Like, it's really, like, she's really, te- yeah. like I liked how they played to her. I like how they built, had her build him up. Uh, and, and
2: he I, does a similar thing for her where it's like, he lets her know, like, you're more than just, you know, a hooker that's cut to look like a celebrity. Like, you know, he kind of sees more in her as well. And so there's kind of that duality in their relationship, I think.
0: It's really, and it's, it's, it is really well executed and I like it. The Only thing it bothered me then, and it bothers me now Guy Pierce or Edmund actually sleeping with her. Like, and it bothered me for different reasons. Like, then I was just like, don't sleep with his girlfriend, like, you know, it's his girlfriend. Like, I didn't get why he was doing it. And, like, I still think it hasn't played well over time. Like, Bud White it is insane,
2: so quickly, yeah. it, it happens so quickly. In the- actually is such a straight arrow up to that point at no point is he looking to do something salacious or wavering or like might be against his morals and like in within three minutes of talking to this woman he's ready to sleep with her and like I did I, I agree there's something about it from his perspective because she's been told to sleep with him by by Patchett I, I think and, and like they're trying to and like DeVito's taking pictures and that's how they get Bud, Bud White pissed off at him obviously that was all drawn from the Cromwell character because he's kind of pulling all the strings but like he he's so quick to sleep with her when after being such a straight arrow by the book cop there needed to be something in there a little bit more to pull him like again she's a beautiful woman (laughs) like i don't doubt that he was attracted to her but for him to break all his moral morals at the drop of a hat like that after he built up that character to be such a straight arrow there's something
1: that, yeah, it isn't totally
0: congruent in that scene. I couldn't agree more. And like for me, it went from original bro code. And then as I got older, it was like, why would you do that? Knowing that he'll probably kill you. To now, as I watch it, it's just like, you know that that's their racket. Like you're now, yeah. you're a straight arrow and you're having sex with a prostitute, kind of forcing yourself on her, like a little aggressively. And <laughs> like, it's just, you've been a straight arrow your whole life and you're going to throw it all away to sleep with the guy's girl. And that was the other thing too. Like, it's not, it, it was also, I appreciated it then. And it, I think it's, the mean, he's doing it to get back at Bud cause she's right. Cause he feels, even though he's a straight arrow, he feels inadequate to Bud as a man, as a police, as a moral, what, however you want to put it up there, he feels inadequate. And right. I do think one of the things I liked this time was how she did it. Like, I think she was doing it to hurt him and also knowing that maybe that would get him going. Like I, cause she's not really hitting on him in a traditional way, but like by bringing up Bud, it kind of, it's weird.
1: It's perverse. yeah.
0: It's perverse. And it is, I think there is another way to get that to happen. Like they could have just told Bud or pretended like maybe they cut up someone to look like Bud and then have them have sex. Like, I don't know. There's just, it, it just, there were other ways I didn't like it for, I haven't liked it since I first watched it. I didn't like it now. I've liked it, disliked it for multiple reasons. It just, to me, uh, it feels a little bit like plot, like it's meant to just advance the plot. Like it doesn't fully make sense in the story. It just is meant to, like, kind of accelerate everything, I feel like, for the third act.
2: I agree. Yeah. It's like, I understand why that plot point is there and why they're taking the pictures of him, but it's like you need to—I think they needed to take their time a little bit more to get Pierce to kind of be drawn into her or have her seduce him a little bit more, instead of it being such a quick, forceful kind of thing where it's like he's really just trying to get him revenge with Bud Point and he's gonna throw away all his like morals out the yeah. door. To him. So, like, it's like it just happens a little
0: too fast for that character and just all his political capital, like his clean record, gives him capital and leverage with dealing with people. So I just it didn't make sense.
2: Um, I do really appreciate about the movie is just the use of that period of Los Angeles. Like, I do think they kind of turned the, the city into a character. There's a lot of places that they visit that were, like, real places. That whole idea of, like, you know, hookers that were cut to look like celebrities, that was a real thing that happened back in the 50s. And so I think there's a lot of inside Hollywood stuff that's happening. Um, you know, they have that show that's kind of, like, based off Dragnet that, that Jackman Sands keeps going to the set, too. And so I just think that whole feel of Los Angeles... Not a lot of, I I think, honestly, LA is a hard city to capture and and a hard city to get the vibe of, but this movie does a great job of kind of capturing that vibe, especially with the Jackman Sins character and just the way he works his way around the city, the way he knows people, the way he knows how to get information from people. Also, I mean, I just love the scene too, where it's like they walk in on Johnny Stampinato and they think that he's with the hooker that's cut to look like Veronica Lake, and it actually is Veronica Lake, and it's just like, that's a really hilarious moment when they go back
0: I love that. I love that. Um I'm not an LA expert, but I do agree it, it seems to be one of the harder cities to kind of cast or to like create an ambiance for. No expert on the 50s, but it felt like whether it's the palm trees or just the way they've, they the it felt very authentic. And the cool thing about LA or I guess like the interesting thing is it's obviously a major city with big business, but one of those big businesses is Hollywood. And Hollywood also has an interesting history. I mean, we we talk about Mank. Like, there have been, like, political ties with Hollywood. There have been, like, then in World War II, like, you start having, like, CIA and government agencies getting involved with Hollywood. Like, there's – and without getting too deep, if anyone listens to Rewatchables, they talk about how a lot of movies in the 80s were financed apparently by Israeli arms dealers. Where I'm going with this is Hollywood has always kind of been a bastion for – I mean, the first, one of the first major movies was made by the Ku Klux Klan, which is obviously a terrible organization, but where I'm going with this is Hollywood has always had shady ties, and so it's, uh, granted,
2: yeah, that combination of like the glitz and glam of Hollywood and big stars and the palm trees, and then that whole underside, the underbelly of it, and it's like, there's that whole duality to Hollywood, and like, yeah, there's some money coming from shady places, but we're all smiling when we're on camera, and it's like, I mean, everything going on behind the scenes can be a little bit dirtier than you realize, whereas everything in front of the camera is a little bit more sparkly than it really needs to be.